0: Hello, and welcome to episode 214 of AvTalk. I am Ian Petchnik here, as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. How's your week going? Hello, Jason. My week's going okay. I was in Stockholm last week and then came home, and one of the kids promptly got sick the day after I came home. So I spent the weekend recovering from my trip and nursing a sick kid back to health, all oh, well, while my wife said, you are gone all week. This is your problem now, which to be fair, it was. I think she's right. Mm -hmm. She is exactly way on vacation, but she's still right. As any of the parents listening know, single parenting is is doesn't matter where the other person is; it's no fun. But everyone's back to full strength. The sun has come out in Chicago for the first time in months. I think it's warming up slightly, and so we're we're off to a good week. And we've got a great show for you this week. A wide variety. Of stories, and I think we have to start with what was breaking news about an hour ago—the story we just needed. Right? It was the feel-good story of the week that I needed, and and I want to thank Anyali and Yeti. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly for the beautiful photographs, wonderful reportage, and great storytelling. As a mass of bees sat on the wingtip fence of her Delta A320.
1: Yeah, something we've seen before. This happens in cities. I I think the NYPD here in New York actually has a a, a bee keeping specific unit, which is all sorts of problematic and weird, but occasionally, there are thousands of bees on a building or a traffic light or a stop sign, and they, they go collect the bees. But I'm not sure we've seen an incident, at least that I can recall, of just thousands of bees deciding, you know what? That wingtip fence on that three twenty over there looks real nice. Let's go make it our home.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you have ever seen one with the wingtip fence. We, we've seen where like they'll go into the engines, you know, that are obviously not on, or especially when aircraft go into storage, they'll go into like the pitot tubes or the wheel wells or wherever. Bad, generally, bad you things. Know, you, you, you don't g- want. Yeah, any generally of that. bad things. And there is. A plan for those things, but there didn't seem to be a plan for this particular event. And we'll put a link to the Twitter thread in the show notes because it does take you on a journey. But it basically ends with them going, Well, we need to move the plane. We're probably going to have to cancel the flight. And then as soon as they started up the APU to move the aircraft, the beast went away. Yes, and for anyone who has seen the thread
1: to the conclusion of today's events will know that uh, they moved the plane off the gate because they needed the gate for another flight. The bees went away, they are apparently as we speak right now, pulling the A320 back up to another gate, and they're boarding their flight to Atlanta. so all is well that ends well. I, I hope the bees found somewhere. Else, maybe a, a Spirit A320 that is a little more color appropriate for them to go hang out on. But what a <laughs> what a nice
0: story. What a nice story. Yeah, One that we was, need more of those. Uh, I, think, I think needed today. Maybe not bees, but feel good stories that have happy endings. Yeah. Just, just
1: read through the thread of the various things the ground crew in Houston tried to do to get rid of the bees
0: that just <laughs> did not work. That's really the best part. They're like, well, we're out of ideas. Just move the plane. And then the bees were like, all right, we're done. In much less happy news, we've got more problems with more engines than even we talked about last week, and it has led to go first, the Indian low-cost carrier declaring bankruptcy. In their bankruptcy protection filings, they solidly lay the blame at the feet of Pratt and Whitney, and specifically the geared turbofan engine that powers their A320neo fleet. They have now sued Pratt and Whitney for close to a billion dollars. So, not great news all around. GoFirst has suspended flights from May third today through May fifth on Friday, saying that they are hopeful that they can restart flights. But as anyone who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows, that once an airline stops flying it becomes incredibly difficult to restart operations.
1: Yeah. I hope this case is different because it's not like there were external market forces making business impossible for go first or, or just trying to operate an airline where it was not financially reasonable. This was purely external forces that just You can't predict. You can't really blame them for. So hopefully, this is one of those rare instances where GoFirst is able to get its house in order, get something out of Pratt and Whitney, and start flying again. Because we all know India sure has pretty much a bottomless pit of demand for domestic travel. So it's not like other airlines won't be trying to fill this void quickly, or that the industry market can't handle GoFirst coming back into it. So it's it's different than our normal circumstance, which we'll talk about another one of those airlines shortly.
0: Right, right. A, a more normal one.
1: Yeah. I hope Go First is able to get what it almost certainly deserves out of Pratt & Whitney and is able to restart services and its employees are made whole shortly.
0: I mean, Go has a total of 55 aircraft, of which 27, 28 – depending on the cutoff that you want to to give for usage versus active or grounded. So between 27-28, aircraft grounded or just not in operation since the last few weeks of April. And some of these aircraft have been on the ground for a long time. One of their A320 NEOs has been grounded since 2021. Or I'm sorry, two ish. of them have been grounded since 2021. A bunch In the early part of 2022. And then things really started accelerating where you start seeing three aircraft in June, August, September, and November of 2022. Three aircraft per month being grounded.
1: Yeah. And again, Go First is not the only airline experiencing this. We we talked about others and we have here in our notes a third of the Swiss A220 fleet is grounded plus 3 Lufthansa A320neos, I'm booked on a couple of uh, Air France A220s and oh wow, next month. So hoping those go as planned. But you posed an interesting question today about the situation. What exactly was yep. your wording for this situation?
0: My specific wording was I would love to read 2,500 words on what is going on at Pratt & Whitney. Why, why is Pratt & Whitney specifically so affected by these particular issues? And We said last week, I think specifically, because the LEAP engines, specifically the LEAP 1A engines that power the other slightly less than half of the A320 Neo family fleet – That are made by CFM, they are not immune to to issues. CFM engines have experienced issues. Those issues have been the same issues that the geared turbofan engine has experienced in harsh climates. So in places that are extremely sandy or places that have very poor air quality. So places like India, places like the Middle East, where you're operating into you know airports that are basically paved deserts. Those engines have also experienced issues, but the Pratt and Whitney engine issues have been so much more pervasive, and it seems like they've struggled to manage much more of the design, manufacturing, supply chain, refurbishment, maintenance process, that whole life cycle of the engines. They've managed that with much more difficulty than the LEAP engine. So I said I wanted 2,500 words on it. Yeah. You got less than 2,500 words. I got less than 2,500 words, but our answer came through out of Sean Broderick at at Aviation Week. Sean
1: Broderick at Aviation Week uh, published substantially fewer than 2,500 words, thankfully, so I can actually get to the end of the article. (laughs) But yeah, it, it, it does not spare Pratt & Whitney much here. The article goes on to say that among the exclusively Pratt-powered A220 fleet, nearly 20% of the 262 in-service aircraft were listed as not flying regularly, including 26 in storage. There are some really good quotes here. I'll summarize in quote here. We're operating in some very harsh environments, said Raytheon Chairman and CEO Greg Hayes. We probably didn't spend enough time testing for those harsh environments specifically places like India. and That's where we've seen the lower life on the combustor and turbine blades just because of the harsh conditions there. Wow, hard to get that sentence out. Pretty much what we've known that places like India, the Middle East are having difficulty keeping these engines in service just because of the quote unquote harsh conditions there were not unknown before these engines came to be. It's not like the geared turbofan engines came into existence and suddenly the air quality in India plummeted pretty sure that was a pre-existing condition. But the article goes on to say that Pratt hopes to have its new production method, I guess, for the gear turbofan engines fully transition to the Advantage variant by 2026. So that's a long time. But in the meantime, it'll continue to add maintenance, repair, overhaul capacity, and develop repairs to help keep the current fleet operating. So this story is not ending anytime
0: soon, it seems. And one of the things that they are doing, because they've had such Issues with supply chain and parts, and then getting those parts installed on engines by qualified mechanics—that's a big piece of the puzzle as well. I mean, so it's, and we talked about this over the past couple episodes, and we talked about it last week. But, but I think it really comes to a head when you have an airline declaring bankruptcy, and it's not to say that Gofirst's only problem are the engines, but having a chunk of your fleet unavailable half your fleet unavailable that makes it extremely difficult to operate a schedule and if you're concerned that the aircraft that you are operating are going to go down the same way the other half of the fleet has if you continue to use them i mean that that's not sustainable either No, as if operating an airline in the
1: current market conditions is not already difficult enough with constant labor shortages, air traffic control, snafus, airport strikes, all of this, as if having the aircraft engines literally not working is not something these airlines needed on top of everything else making air travel seemingly impossible for some people in some parts of the country at this point. But It looks like this will be an issue that persists for quite a while, unfortunately. It's not like an airline can go out and buy a new 320 or 737 that doesn't have a geared turbofan engine at this point. That is what is on offer. I guess you can go out and buy some new Embraer E175s that don't have GTS, but that's about it these days. Yeah. Or you're facing the back of a very long line. Yeah. I think Airbus and its Q1 results that you're typing in the show notes right now, uh, they said they're sold out of the A320 family or or was it the A320 specifically
0: or the family through 2029. That's a long time. It's a long time. and They're going to increase rates and we'll talk about that in just a minute, but they're going to increase rates and hopefully, but they still need – those aircraft still need engines. Yes. Yes,
1: they do. and Maybe they come from a competitor because you can get engines from someone
0: else. That's true. That's very true. Speaking of getting different engines, you know who's sitting a little happy right now? Which airline? Alaska, because I'm flying them tomorrow? I mean, them too. But I was thinking of another first quarter results, and that would be Finnair. Finnair. All right. What, What did they have to say? So first things first, they're deferring one of their two remaining A350 aircraft. They've got 17 in the fleet now and they're going to say, "Well, we're going to take the we're going to move the next one back a year." On the narrow body side, Finnair is an airline that has not renewed their fleet and they are extremely excited about that at the moment. They're still operating A320 COs and A321 COs. And they have not had to deal with any of this. And they are very happy with themselves about that at the moment. (laughs) Not too often you hear an airline say, our (laughs) A320
1: family aircraft are on average 20.8 years old. And damn it, that's the way we want it to be right now, because that is unusual. It's 5A319s are 22 years on average, it's A320s, 20.8. It's A321s are, are actually relatively new, but they're all of the CO variant. So mm-hmm. the, the only newer generation aircraft Finnair operates is the A350, which thankfully does not seem to be plagued by any engine-related issues. But yeah, here, here's a, a rare incident where you're an airline that's happy to have aer- aircraft that range up to 22 and a half years old.
0: <laughs> yeah. So good for Finair. I think we can say more about the, and they mentioned that they go. We're going to have to you know fix that problem in a few years. But for right now, they're fine with it. Yeah, let's talk about Airbus's first quarter results. We talked about Boeing's first quarter results last week, and we're going to talk about Airbus this week. Their earnings fell, but not as much as. Was forecast. The information as far as what we care about is really what the order book looks like. And as far as what I specifically care about is the fact that the entry into service for the A350 dedicated freighter is now back a year. So we're looking at 2026.
1: Oh, that's disappointing. That's going to be a nice looking aircraft. But Airbus is now targeting. 720 commercial aircraft deliveries in calendar year 2023 so we'll we'll check back in December to see if that happened I guess January of next year to see if that happened
0: right yeah i mean nothing has Really changed Q2 of 2024 for the A321 XLR EIS. And then the rate increases remain pretty much the same for the A220, A320 family. So, A320 family is going to go to 65 by the end of next year and then 75 per month in late 2025, early 2026. So, still just that's still bonkers to me that they're going to make that many A320 family aircraft per month but but that's what they say they're going to do. A330 is sticking at rate 4 per month for next year. The A350 will go up to 9 by the end of 2025, so a little wiggle room there. And like we said the A350 freighter won't be flying until or won't be flying with an airline until 2026. Oh, well. I guess the more normal airline bankruptcy that we were referring to, although there's not really a whole lot of normal about this particular airline, but it does follow a more more tried and true pattern as far as the cause, and that's just not having any money. Air Moldova has suspended flights. They recently suspended flights at the end of April and then restarted flights. They were one of the, the rare restarts, but it didn't last very long, and they have now suspended flights pending a Moldovan court ruling on their proposed restructuring. They owe about $110 million in debt, and that a lot of that comes from the airline was previously government-owned in 2018. It was privatized. The current ownership of the airline says all of these problems came from the state ownership. After it was privatized, we've been doing a good job. The president of Moldova says nothing changed. You didn't improve anything, and no, we're not giving you any money. And so here they are in a forced restructuring, awaiting the ruling from the court to see whether they can restart operations or not. But it doesn't seem likely at this point, though. Moldova is such a an interesting case. I wouldn't be surprised if if they somehow got back to flying either with uh, with wet leases or, or something, because they have three owned aircraft. One has been stuck on the ground in Verona because of a maintenance issue for a very long time. I think a couple months now, and the other two are leased. And the lessor said you have to take them out of Moldova because Moldova is too close to Ukraine, and we're worried that our aircraft or are going to are going to be involved in a war and we don't want that.
1: Yeah, it's reasonable. I don't foresee this airline coming back anytime soon. I'm sure the void like we discussed in Air with India will be filled by Wizz Air and Ryanair. Whatever other ultra low cost carriers can fill that void and I'm sure they will rather quickly.
0: It's not a ton of traffic, but it's always disconcerting to see another airline go. Yeah. You don't want to see it no matter what. So, let's Change the subject and talk about some good news. Fly Dubai unveiled its, I believe, third new cabin in how many years for its third for its narrow body fleet? Specific 37
1: Max, because it also yeah. has NGs. It first took its first Max, I think, in 2017 with, with a fairly nice interior. I think it was. You know that Swiss or original JetBlue mint interior, where it's like alternating one-two-one one business class seats. Then later on on the Max Nine, it decided, okay, we want an aircraft type for a seat for shorter range flights. So it had a really nice, like reclining type seat. And then it said, you know what? That's not enough. We need we need more differentiation. And they <laughs> have announced what is one of the nicest looking narrowbody interiors these these full flat all aisle access suite door equipped seats i think it's 10 of them on board the 737 max which is just really going to make people jealous entering at that L1 door who have to go through that cabin they're admittedly nice economy seats but fly dubai is is an interesting case of an i guess realistically, an LCC turned into a a hybrid premium carrier offering that is now, I guess, is it outright owned or majority owned by Emirates, I think? Uh, I'm not totally clear on that. but Yeah, it's part of the group. Yeah, it's part of the Emirates group, but now Fly Dubai, like the LCC cousin of Emirates, now has a nicer business class and is on nearly all Emirates aircraft, which is just a bizarre turn of events. If given the chance, I would definitely fly one of these Fly Dubai 737s over an Emirates 777, which is just a
0: weird thing to say. <laughs> I, I was thinking about how much of this – because there is some competition. Granted, Fly Dubai's main purpose here is to funnel traffic to or from Emirates long haul. But there's a lot of overlap still in the route network and like you said i mean there's it's a nicer seat than the emirates business class yeah and i do
1: want to commend the the fly dubai i guess media team for putting out some excellent media materials with really in-depth information something we don't see from enough airlines announcing a product like this and i really hope i get to a chance to fly Fly Dubai in the near future. I feel like it's also a preview of things that some airlines are really going to do on these newer generation narrow bodies, like the, the MAX 10 and the 321XLR. There's finally the chance to put something nice on these 73s and 320s. And Fly Dubai is coming on strong with this cabin. Kind of reminds me, I guess, sort of what SIS has done on its 321LR, equipping a narrow body aircraft for, for true long haul flights. It's a similar idea though. I think Fly Dubai's done an even nicer job. It has. Uh, at least we think it has. It doesn't exist yet. That's but true. When it does, That's true. When it does, I would very much like to see it.
0: We should try and go. Sure. We definitely go yep. lots of places. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Let's go somewhere now. We're going to go to Australia. Qantas has named its current CFO, Vanessa Hudson, as the new CEO she will replace Alan Joyce in November when Joyce retires from the airline. Joyce has been a lightning rod of criticism. I'm not Australian myself, but any Australian person who I've ever talked to about Qantas generally loves the idea of Qantas and hates Alan Joyce. So One of the things that the incoming CEO, Hudson, has said is going to be in her brief is restoring trust in the airline, both in terms of its customers, domestically especially, but also the trade unions that make up the airline's employees. They have had very fractious and and tension-filled relations with Joyce. So he will be leaving in November. She assumes the role. And that ends or begins what I think is the first time of both Australian long-haul carriers being helmed by women. Jane Hardlichka runs Virgin Australia, and Vanessa Hudson will be running Qantas. So it'll be interesting to see them really get into the roles and and see how Qantas changes with the departure of Joyce, who's a very strong character. It has driven a lot of the changes at Qantas. So It'll be interesting to see how much continuity is there and and how much change.
1: Yeah. I definitely don't know much of the background or history on why Australians might not like Joyce so much, but he's definitely shepherded in an interesting era in Qantas's history with uh, the whole Project Sunrise I guess competition between Boeing and Airbus, but of course still hasn't actually launched, may never launch, maybe it does one day, I don't know, but at least it's been an interesting couple of years for Qantas leading up to this CEO change. So, exciting new chapter for them.
0: And Joyce's job has by no means been easy. I mean, thinking about the unique challenges that face an Australian airline as far as the route network and having to develop that, having to to bring in you know, the new aircraft into the fleet, retiring the 747, I think was a you know a huge thing for Qantas, and then dealing with domestic upstart competition that has in in many ways changed how the airline has had to operate. So by no means easy, but I don't think any I don't think anyone I've talked to, and if you are listening and going, no, I love Alan Joyce, email us and tell us why. Podcast at fr24.com. I would love to hear someone not defend but just some words of encouragement and support as he gets ready to to leave the airline. So this was a cool one. And I don't say that lightly because Jason and I mostly Jason has a policy of not talking about things that have not yet happened. But the PR photos in this particular release, it wasn't even the plane that drew me in, it was the truck. Go on. Zero Avia and Alaska Airlines had an event earlier this week announcing that they were developing the world's, quote unquote, the world's largest zero emission aircraft. Alaska Airlines, not needing the Dash 8 Q400 anymore, presented that particular aircraft to Zero Avia, and that will be retrofitted with Zero Avia's hydroelectric propulsion system, which would create the world's largest zero emissions aircraft. That's all well and good. But in the release, Zero Avia also posted a picture of its Hyper Truck. Ooh, that's a nice name. I know. It's certainly better than Cybertruck. Exactly. So the Hyper Truck is an Oshkosh truck that's been modified to have the Zero Avia. Propulsion system that's been attached to a Dash8 Q400 gearbox and propeller. So it's basically a big truck with a propeller mounted on the front and on top of it. And it looks bizarre. but I' well, that it. thing get from zero to 60 real quick. <laughs> so it's a 1.8megawatt electric propulsion system configured with the stock Dash-8. Engine, gearbox, and propeller consist of two quote hypercore motor modules, and each of those uh, just all of this technology is fascinating to me. Each a quote high power, high speed, nine hundred kilowatt permanent magnet radial flux machine. You made that up. operate. I did not.
1: I read it, and I that would link string to of it. words cannot possibly exist in order
0: and mean something real, can it? I apparently means something real. I didn't even get to the best part. It spins at 20,000 RPM.
1: That's terrifying. I hope I don't (laughs) see that on the BQE anytime soon. (laughs) But yeah, it's nice to see Alaska just kind of gifting Zero Avia a full, you know, Dash 8 Q400, as Seth Miller pointed out to me, friend of the show, that it, it is, as he said, the least Alaska could do because not that far back in 2021, Alaska had announced that it had secured at the time options for up to 50 kits to begin converting its regional aircraft to hydrogen electric power through zero obvious zero emission powertrain starting with the Q400. Alaska doesn't operate the Q400 anymore, so it won't be needing those up to 50 hydrogen conversion kits. So that's, yeah, it really is the least they could do because they're not flying those aircraft anymore. No one else is going to want them and they won't be buying the company's product. But I'm excited to see what they end up doing here because they they have already flown the, I think it was the 10 to 20 seater, the much smaller aircraft, but a full on Q400 operating on hydrogen power using whatever it is they've bolted onto that hyper truck. is going to be super exciting. It feels like the first legitimately sized, legitimately possible next generation fuel aircraft that we've seen. To date, but unfortunately, it won't be coming to Alaska Air anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I mean they've got the Dash Eight three hundred. Yeah, it's a three hundred that Universal Hydrogen's been yes. operating. So that's the largest kind of hydrogen-powered aircraft. So this would take it one step further and would just be really cool to see a Q three hundred. It is it's nice, but
1: a Q four hundred, and I there feel you like you're, you're dabbling in real. Airline that's the big aircraft: leaks, Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's how you know you've made it. Unfortunately, the Q400 is not exactly a hot-selling aircraft. I't do they even make those anymore?: No, right?
0: I, I mean,
1: I don't think sure. so. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, hmm. but disappointing end to that aircraft, but nice to see that that livery is just really, really nice. I, we glazed right over that, but it is a beautiful looking.: I aircraft. wanted to get to the truck. The truck is nice, but the truck doesn't fly. If it flies, something has gone terribly wrong. It's got a flux capacitor. I see so. that, that you made up. That I know. I know what that is. And I it can, cannot can. time travel. Says you. I mean,
0: not yet. So do you know who can time travel? Uh, we can time me. travel. Because as time marches forward, I feel like we're actually
1: going back in time. Oh, I think what you mean is time is a flat circle. Because if you were leading into Norse wants to fly to Asia, specifically to Bangkok, and is definitely not Norwegian, yes, time is going in a circle, it feels like. But there's some other interesting things that Norwegian definitely did not do.
0: Yeah. So, Norse, which is definitely not Norwegian, is opening up come October for the winter season and Oslo Bangkok route. So good. Good for them. SAS is also going to open up a flight to Bangkok. So lots of Scandinavian Bangkok flights coming up yes. in the winter season. As a reminder, that is a thing because that is basically the
1: farthest part of Asia that they can fly to without having to go through Russian Airspace, which used to be a problem back in the Norwegian days, because Norwegian just couldn't get the overflight rights to go over Russia. But now it's now a different. Doesn't matter why you can't no go can. over Russia. So Bangkok is about as far as they can go into Asia. They can't get to Tokyo or Beijing or anything
0: like that. So Bangkok, it is there. You go, and it's also a popular destination for a lot of Scandinavian and Nordic travelers. So that so too. this all works out. Yeah, Norse. Will also fly from London to Barbados and Kingston and Montego in Jamaica. So that's kind of the the fresh twist. That's a new one. This is not something
1: Norwegian did, or at least it did serve the Caribbean, but out of New York actually on 737s. But I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if there's much demand for London to Barbados and Jamaica. Those are our winter getaway destinations for like. The US East Coast, but is there really demand from London all the way to the Caribbean? They have their own Caribbean outside of Europe that doesn't require a, an <laughs> overnight flight Caribbean. to get to. I don't know about this, but I guess they got to throw some darts at the map and see what happens.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at BA service or kind of a little bit more widely, KLM service, you have a lot of those tag flights. Where you get, I mean, you kind of cobble together a route out of multiple islands. So maybe, you know, these particular destinations have enough demand for nonstop flights and that's it. I don't know. But I like that they're trying new things and they're going for sun rather than, you know, what really ended up being Norwegian's problem is they had too many aircraft flying too far to destinations where they couldn't possibly fit enough people or find enough load to make it work. Okay. Good luck. Good luck. Sticking with good luck, this is one of those things that sure, why not? Hainan Group Airlines, Arumki and Suparna, which I almost said Yangtze River Express because that's what the airline used to be called. Now it's called Suparna. They are each going to take 30 C919s and Hainan also ordered forty ARJ twenty ones because reasons. Hey, it
1: never hurts to have forty ARJ twenty ones, you know, parked somewhere in case
0: you need them later sure. for sure. an unspecified airline. Doesn't hurt. So we'll see what they do with those. I mean, the C nine one nine rollout has been not great. I think is a charitable way to describe it. So good to see that the orders keep coming in. Wait, why has it not been great? It just
1: happened like very recently, right? I'm saying that entry into service has been quite slow. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it entered service unofficially with China Eastern, and then that was the last we heard. And of then it. that was it.
0: That was it. Yeah, I mean
1: there has not been
0: much after that.
1: Yeah, I would. Oh, wait a minute. Are we discussing the C one nine one nine or ARJ twenty one? Because if we're talking about the ARJ twenty one, yeah, bad. But if we're talking no, about no, we're talking about the nine one
0: nine. Oh, okay. so we're talking about both, really. Oh, okay but in two yeah, separate the ARJ conversations.
1: Conversation, the ARJ21, yeah, hot garbage. Nobody wants that. The C919, yeah, we need to
0: give that a lot more time before we Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm saying okay. the 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 919 rollout has been slow. The ARJ21 is a waste of space. They should just take the learnings, which was the whole idea anyway, and move on. Yes.
1: Okay, same page. I think the C919 actually recently was introduced outside? No, it's the ARJ21. I keep getting these two confused. That was in Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia. Hot garbage. Nobody wants it. Move on. The C919 is what we're all interested in. I would very much like to see that enter service in some more legitimate way because I think that popped into China Eastern schedule for like a day and then disappeared and hasn't been seen from again. So All eyes on the 919. The ARJ21 can get lost. We don't care about that.
0: All right. Let's talk about another airline and another set of aircraft. Azerbaijan Airlines has firmed up their order for eight more 787s, the worst kind of 787s, the Dash 8.
1: Ah, oh, but you know what? It's the best kind of livery on a 787 mm-hmm. because damn, as Azal, its livery is, is just fantastic. Not as good as it looks stretched out on an a 340 I think yeah. that was one of the best looking aircraft possibly of all time, in my opinion. Mm. But yeah, it is a very good livery. But yeah, not great that it's the Dash 8 component, but that's fine. You don't want to order too much airplane because this isn't exactly an Emirates we're talking about here.
0: That's true. I mean, you want the right size airplane. I'm just – I'm not down on their ordering it. They have – You are not a fan of the Dash 8. You have made that opinion well-known on this podcast. No. Have I ever
1: talked about that before? Maybe you've only talked about it to me, but why don't we get into it? Why do you hate
0: the original <laughs> no, no, 787? No, no, no. We're not Come doing on. this again. No, we're not doing this again. We are not doing this again. See previous episodes for my long winded and probably unnecessary rants against the 787 8. Tarmac Aerosave is opening up another location. This time they're going into China in Chengdu. So good for them as they continue to expand around the world, as they take care. Of all of those aircraft reaching the end of life. Yeah, this one is
1: actually a joint venture with Airbus Lifecycle Services, and the facility will offer storage, maintenance, dismantling, and recycling services in China. The facility will cover a surface area of 717,000 square meters and have a storage capacity for 125 aircraft. 75% of the aircraft, they estimate, will be stored in the center, will be transitioned into second life cycles, meaning I guess to another airline. And the remaining will be dismantled with the unique tarmac aerosave process, reusing and recycling about 90% of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Weight. Wow, that's impressive. You could tell I'm reading right from the press materials there. But <laughs> I picked this out because it's interesting that there are a lot of old aircraft in China, a lot of aircraft that are getting up there in age that are getting ready to be retired. And I just I picked this out because I think it's interesting that Airbus is anticipating the need to do something with them. In mainland China and not have to fly them out to France or to Goodyear, Arizona, or anything like that. So they can deal with this all, not in house, but in country without having to fly them halfway around the world to be dismantled. This just makes sense, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me, especially as to me, it's also a good way to market the replacement. You know, we can take care of, you know, how it's like, we'll take care of your trade in, no problem. (laughs) It's like buying a new iPhone. Exactly. We'll take care of the trade-in. Yeah. Aircraft that are being traded in that no one wants in any way, shape, or form to have a second life, Endeavour has retired the CRJ-200. Ah, see you in hell, little regional jet. <laughs> I have
1: spent so many hours of my life on specifically Endeavor Air CRJ two hundred. So this is happy news for me. Unfortunately, the CRJ two hundred is not quite out of the fleet at Delta SkyWest. Still operates them um, a lot of them, but those are based out in the, the Detroit, Minneapolis, and Salt Lake City hubs where I don't have to worry about them anymore. But the days of the CRJ 200s, they feel like they're numbered. Nobody wants them at this point. They obviously don't make them anymore. There is a need for them in some markets. The routes that Delta still operates them on are really sky west. I don't even know half of these airport codes. Do you know where TWF is? Because I don't. woof. It's. Isn't that Western Utah? Sure. What about EKO?
0: EKO, is that Elkhorn?
1: I don't know. It's in Nevada somewhere. How about CPR? The point I'm making here is that it's really going to these tiny, tiny airports. Most of them are probably essential air service routes. CPR
0: is Casper. I actually know
1: that one. Oh, okay. There you go. How about one more? RHL. RHL.
0: It's in Minnesota, I think. Rochester, Minnesota? Is it? I, I, mean, pick another city and no, I have no, I have no. Idea. I don't know.
1: Doesn't matter. I'm not flying them anytime soon. But okay, yeah, good to see that they're out of Endeavor Air's fleet. Who now exclusively flies the, the seven and nine hundred, I believe. So happy to not end up on any of those anytime soon. Fair enough.
0: Yeah, now I'm going to be wondering.
1: You can look them up. Can you can link to my tweet with
0: the map of, of the locations uh, for all of them. But I, I, I,
1: I don't know most of these airports because.
0: Okay, fine. Yep. All right. Let's close the show with news I never thought we would be able to report. It finally happened. It finally, finally happened. Late last week, the former Mexican presidential 787 left Mexico City, where it had been brought back to from Victorville, California, (laughs) and then flew up to the US where it is going to be repainted. and Then it is going to be transferred to Tajikistan because the new owner is, well, the new owner is Tajikistan. All right. I am very excited
1: to see the episode of Cockpit Confidential that I hope he was able to put together on the mission to get this aircraft from Mexico all the way out to its new owner's There's got to be a very interesting story behind it, and I know there is, and we will bring it to you as soon as we get Steve Giordano on the podcast because he's a busy
0: man these days. He's a very busy man these days, and the plane's not in Tajikistan yet. so We are holding a place in a future episode. Whenever this is all said and done, Steve has promised to come on the show and tell us the story. Because as we already know, it's required a ton of work to not not just get the aircraft out of storage and out of Mexico, but also into Tajikistan. And that hasn't even happened yet. It's only made it as far as San Bernardino, California, which I'm pretty
1: sure is the opposite direction of Tajikistan. It's not Tajikistan. It it is the wrong way. It is in California. They've got a long way to go, but do you think they could do it in one hop? Can they get from San Bernardino to Tajikistan in one hop in an empty 787, but it's a terrible teen, so probably not? Is it a terrible teen? It is. I believe this is like one of the the original 787s. Like I thought it was preteen. Is it preteen? I Let, think it's see. preteen. If only I can, can search real quick. I can click, 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 click. It was delivered. Well, no, it is 12.6 years old. It's line number six. You're right. It's yeah. not even a teen. Yeah. It's a terrible preteen. You have kids. What do you call a terrible <laughs> preteen?
0: Thankfully, I don't have to worry about preteens yet. But I'm gonna cross that bridge when I get there. Now, so I wonder if they'll be able to get it all the way to Tajikistan on one hop. Well, if only we knew the guy that was gonna be flying it. I know. Maybe we'll just have to, you know, call him up and ask and bring you the answer on the next episode. So let's do that and call this episode done. This has been episode 214 of Av Talk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening.